So I, I titled this message, um, Don't Get DQ'd. And it's, it's trademarked uh, because Dairy Queen has that little, the capital DQ. But, but a buddy of mine and I play golf. And once in a long while, you do something on a golf course. It's very easy to get disqualified in golf. I don't know why. There, there's so many rules. There's so many things you can do. If you pick a ball up or you don't write the right score down or whatever, you can get DQ'd, disqualified. And in high school, I played golf, and it was very easy in a match to get disqualified because your playing partner from another school wanted to beat you so badly that they would just say anything to you. It was super legalistic. I mean, any little tiny thing, oh, I think I saw your ball move, um, and you had approached it, and so that's a stroke penalty or two-stroke penalty. Um, But we always say, my buddy and I, we always say, oh, you're DQ'd. We we mess with each other. We don't really mean that because— we're out there to supposedly have fun, not to, not to, um, we're not competing for some sort of a championship, but being DQ'd in any sport, whatever it is, you can just get disqualified for not having the amount of players necessary. Um, you can get DQ'd for showing up late to certain sports in high school and college sports. And what Paul is trying to get at with, to the Corinthian church is don't disqualify yourself. Golf is one of the few sports where you can disqualify yourself. And then there's other sports where you only get disqualified if the umpire sees it. And so there's a very big difference between, you know, you being honest and knowing that something happened and then calling a penalty on yourself or waiting for the rest of the the, the people that are watching, like the parents and the, the other players to see. And so this morning we're wrapping up chapter nine. And last week we talked about this idea of of self-denial. And, you know, Paul saying, I am an apostle. There's no doubt about that. I started the church and you guys are writing me, asking me questions about conduct. And like, like in the police shows, they talk about conduct unbecoming. Well, it's a little like that here. There's conduct unbecoming in some of the people in this Corinthian church. And so he's saying, look, I'm going to show you guys a few things here. I'm going to answer your questions, but let me show you what I do. It's way easier to show people how to do something than to try and explain something over the phone. That's like when, 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 when you want your router reset or whatever, or one of these places you call the tech support and they're like, Hey, go through, do this and this and this. I never, I'm always lost with that. Anything tech I'm lost completely. Paul's saying, look, you guys have asked me questions. I'm giving you honest answers, but, but lest some of you guys think that in the church, that didn't write questions, that I don't have the authority because I'm not getting paid by you, that you guys don't support me. Um, How many great things are free in this life, guys? We know this, right? You get what you pay for. Americans say that. You get what you pay for. Um, I have some cars that I rent out on the side, and my mechanic always tells me, look, we can get these cheap Chinese parts, but you might be back in less than a year paying me to fix them. Let's just buy the twice as much parts Uh, that are quality parts because you get what you pay for. And so because they weren't supporting Paul financially, some of them were like, well, who are you? We don't even, we pay these guys that are here, but we don't pay you. And what do you have to say? You know, how good could your advice be if it's free? Really, really a difficult thing to say to the apostle Paul, but ignorance is bliss, I guess. So in verse 19, um, I want to read just verse 19. Paul says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more. And this idea of being free is the idea of Christian liberty. What you would, I, what we would say is my liberty in Christ. 
am I free to do this? Or am I free to do that? Um, does the law stop me from doing that? No, because you're not under the law. So something that you couldn't have done in the uh, Old Testament law is not forbidden anymore because the law has been fulfilled through Christ. At the same time, what type of person is always asking, is it okay if I do this, 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 and this, and I still am a Christian? When you ask those types of questions, you have to take a step back and ask why you're asking those exact questions. He's saying, I'm free to become all things to all people for the good of the cause. Now we'll get into that because there's critics of that specific term. All things to all people. Doesn't that mean that you're fake? Doesn't that mean that you're two-faced? Doesn't that mean that you have a double life when you hang out with like, this isn't like the apostle Peter who said, uh, Judaism is still in effect and we should keep this and this and this. And then when he's hanging out with the Gentiles, he eats one way. And then when the Jews come and then they, they mix company with the Gentiles, he's like, oh no, I would never eat shellfish because he is Jewish and he grew up Jewish. And so that was one of the things Paul said, I opposed Peter to his face because he's, 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 he's throwing mixed signals out there because you can't say different stuff to two different groups of Christians culturally. There's only one thing to say if it's biblical truth, but then there's the freedoms. Then there's the gray areas. Then there's the areas where we go, well, hold on a second. You know, I'm not going to tell another Christian brother or sister they can't go there or they can't do that because I am not their Holy Spirit. At the same time, we don't want to lead people and we don't want to stumble people. Um, what the New Living talks about the idea that um, I'm free to all men I'm not bound to those who pay me, is what the New Living Translation says. Sometimes when you get financed by things, people, organizations, there's strings attached. There's expectations. Um, I, I watch uh, cop shows. I love cop shows. And uh, once in a long while, somebody will come into uh, this, this cop's office on uh, the, the show's called Blue Bloods. I love Tom Selleck. I've been a Tom Selleck sucker for years. Um, I love the mustache. It's just one of the best mustaches ever. It's never changed in 45 years. Same mustache. He never goes gray. Did you guys know that? Tom Selleck, not a gray hair. He's 80 years old to this day. Not a gray hair. Possible there's some coloring. I don't know. Um, but uh, some guy will come into his office and be like, hey, we got some new money for the police uh, academy. He's like, what's the catch? He always says that. What's the catch? What's the string? When's the other shoe going to drop? Why are you telling me half the story? When you get paid by somebody they expect something. Now, is that 100 out of 100 times? No, but it's 99% of the time. If somebody pays you to go do something and you don't do it, rare is the case where they go, hey, that's cool, whatever. Hey, did you mow my lawn? No, I already gave you money to do it. Why didn't you do it? Uh, I just didn't want to. I already got the money. Okay, that's cool. Said no one ever. It's never happened. Being paid, being on someone's board, being in charge of something comes with expectations. So we're free. Uh, Paul says, I'm free from the strings attached to what money can do. I'm free to become a servant to all. I'm not, it, it's some people look at that and they go, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. People love hearing that. They love hearing I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because Americans love freedom. They love being free to whatever, to go wherever they want, to travel whenever they want, to, to maybe not go to work whenever they want. That's America. But he's saying, I'm free from the law. I'm free from expectations of the Old Testament law so that I can reach all peoples. That's what he's getting at. Verse 20, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law. 
that I might win those who are under the law. There's so much in this because we don't understand a lot of Paul's pedigree. We we just know the bullet points. We know he was such a, he was a, a wonderful prosecutor of anybody that violated or blasphemed the law of God. We know that he was an incredible uh, talent when it came to reading and recalling. We know all these things. But Paul says to anybody who's Jewish, to somebody who's Hebrew, to somebody who's actually keeping the law. When you go to Israel, you're going to find three sets of people who are called Jews. Those are completely secular that don't, they don't, they don't care anything about the Old Testament, which in theory is very rare, but you do see it. And then there's observant Jews uh, who are actually observing uh, the religious holidays. One of them yesterday was uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, uh, it's funny, Shannon's birthday was yesterday on that, and mine was Mine was another Jewish holiday this last year. So they just fell on uh, Jewish uh, holidays, me and Shannon both. But uh, somebody in, uh, in Israel who's a Hasidic Jew, who literally keeps it all or tries to keep it all, Paul says, I relate to all three. Because the person who doesn't know God at all, hey, I'm Hebrew. I'm also of, I'm of Israel, just like you are. The person who's just like an observant Jew, hey, I go to temple, it's cultural, so I, I adhere to some of this. Hey, I get, I got you. Uh, let's talk to the Hasidic Jew, to the one who's, who's zealously going after the Old Testament law. Hey, I used to be you. That's what he's saying. David Lowry says, though Paul was primarily an apostle to Gentiles, he never lost his concern for the salvation of his own people. He made it his custom to seek out the synagogue in each town he entered in order to win the Jews. That's a lot of times how he planted churches in the Greek, what the Greek world, what we know where he is in Ephesus writing this, talking about uh, a church in Corinth, um, which is also Southeast Europe, um, not Israel by any means, not even really close, um, that he entered these synagogues where there would be observant Jews, and he went in and preached to these um, Gentile cultural around Jewish synagogues before he was the Jews' Jew, faultless with regard to the legalistic righteousness. Afterward, he was a new man who had found in Christ the righteousness he had sought. He was still a Hebrew, but he was no longer a Jew living according to the law. Still, he was willing to subject himself to the qualms of the Jews, the concerns of the Jews, in order to gain a hearing for the gospel and to win them to Christ. Yet he never compromised the essence of the gospel at the heart of which was salvation by faith not works and freedom from legalism. Guys, if you're a Bible-believing Christian and you go out and you want to go share your faith with somebody, let's say you do beach evangelism with one of these, with one of these uh, athletes in action, Campus for Christ, that do these uh, spring break. Uh, I've been there. I've been in Florida when they do these uh, beach evangelism. They walk up to people, hey, I want to talk to you about uh, Christ, and uh, here's a, a track, a pamphlet or whatever. And maybe they're listening to uh, some uh, music that's like kind of vile. Let's just say for argument, it's, Metallica or something, and you used to listen to Metallica, you don't approach them and go, that's the worst music I ever heard in, my world, my, in the world, and anybody who listens to heavy metal is an idiot. By the way, can I talk to you about Jesus? Now, you don't have to say, I love James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich, who are the two founders of that band, and I have met them before, because um, I did used to like that band in the 90s a little bit. Um, you don't walk up and go, um, you know, say the first thing, but I might walk up to them and go, oh my gosh, I met 
the drummer and the lead singer of that band once. Wait, what? You look like a missionary, dude. Yeah, yeah, I was I was downtown at, at the John Hancock building and they were doing an interview on a radio station, which is all true. And I had uh, a $20 bill, that's all I had. And I wanted an autograph because I, I liked the band at the time. And James Hetfield, the lead singer of the band, I, when I met him, he took my $20 bill and he goes, what's this? And I go, uh, it's a $20 bill, that's all I got. He goes, they would have bought a lot of beers, man. That's what he said to me. So I could tell that story. Nothing wrong with telling that story to talk to a person listening to Metallica. It's common ground. I'm not saying I love that band. I worship that band like you clearly do. Um, I used to, yeah, I really used to like them. Well, why not anymore? It's not that I don't like them. It's that that music, uh, my life is so different now because of what Christ has done in it. And what do you think about that? Can I, can I chat with you about that? I'm probably going to get a little bit more seconds with them, 30, 40, 60 seconds with them. Whereas the first thing that I say, I'm going to get punched in the face. And so that's what Paul's getting at. I can relate to almost anybody. And that I do it so that I can win those people, verse 21, to those who are without the law. That's anybody outside of the Jewish uh, persuasion, because who had the law? Only the Jews. Anybody else? Um, as without the law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ. And I, he, he wanted to make that distinction. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying as a former Jewish prosecutor, basically, that the law means nothing. It means that now it's my, I'm under Christ now. I'm not under the Old Testament Mosaic law. I'm under Christ now. But to the weak, I became as weak. And some would translate that word to oppressed. Um, I don't know if that's a decent translation or not, but to somebody who's weak, maybe weak in the faith, maybe really young in the faith, maybe really just just a weak person in general, like a like a person who just doesn't really have much of a voice. Some of the Corinthian, like people that were going to get this letter, the the letter was written to the church leadership who would read it to the church. Some of the people going to this church were really brand new Christians and they were super weak. One of the reasons why last week he was talking about, don't just go into a temple restaurant where somebody with a seriously weak conscience is going to see some picture of Zeus with devil horns and then you guys eating the meat that was sacrificed to him 15 minutes ago. And you're like, hey, everything's great in Christ. The person's like, oh my gosh, like I, like my, my conscience is violated and maybe they bail from your church or maybe they feel super convicted that that's wrong. And they're like, oh, I guess we can just do anything that's wrong now because we're in Christ sensitivity. He's saying to the weak person, I become the same as them. Hey, tell me where you're at. Well, I can't go to that place. That's fine. You and I will go eat somewhere else. We'll go to McDonald's, the Greek version, the Corinthian version. That's what he's saying. Go make yourself available, serve, because you're not under the law, but you are under Christ. And Christ would do this. That's what he would do. He would take that person to the vegetarian juice hut four blocks down from the temple restaurant with the bloody meat and all the scariness and the slaughterhouse and whatnot down the street. Some people are very scared. My kids were scared. We passed that slaughterhouse every single day. And when they were really sensitive toward Halloween costumes and stuff, we'd keep them out of Home Depot and Lowe's. You guys been there? It literally looks like a graveyard in there when you turn right. It's like, what is, is this a home improvement store? Or is this a slaughterhouse's supplier? I don't know. Not really sure. Terrifying what's in there. They have right now, I walked in the other day, my, my wife and I are getting plants the other day. They have a 15-foot skeleton in Lowe's for sale. I'm like, what in the world? 
there's must be a ton of money in, in Halloween goods because the stores pop up every year at this time. To the week I became as weak, that I might win the week. I have become all things to all men that I might be, that, that I might by all means save some. Now, some go, hey, what's that really mean? All things to all people. Well, I explained some of it, but what it means is you find common ground wherever you can find it. This is a huge, some people call it the Christian chameleon. Hey, if you're in this country, eat like them, do, like join in on the customs provided they don't violate um, your faith. But there's a fine line here because there's so much that people, it's like if you give little kids like tons and tons of freedom and tons of candy and you don't give them very much direction, you, you, you shouldn't be shocked when you just got a huge train wreck because they're little kids. They're just going to do whatever, whatever they want to do. They're going to do whatever feels good to them. But he says, like, I do this now for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you guys. I have been sensitive to you, Corinthians. I have written you. I spent 18 months of Paul's, in, in my opinion, a shorter life. <laughs> Lived only into his 60s, uh, they say, um, and, and didn't have 40 years of ministry like some missionaries do that are this prominent. But he did whatever it took to bring people to the gospel without violating their conscience, without hurting them, without stumbling them. And I love this because the common ground is such a huge deal. I, I'm not a soccer player. Um, I, I, I realize that everybody else in the world plays it except for the USA, basically. I mean, we do, but we don't, it's not NFL level. We have MLS, but it's not. But 20 something years ago, I went on a missions trip and I really didn't feel like I had anything to add to the missions trip because it was two teams and one was a worship team and one was a soccer team. And we went to Costa Rica and Cuba. And that was the late nineties under Clinton when you couldn't get into Cuba. It was very, very difficult. I couldn't believe we were going to Cuba and only 10 of us out of the 30 that traveled got to go because that was the max. But we went to Costa Rica and first time I've seen something like this before. I mean, Costa Rica, it's absolutely gorgeous. It is one of the best places I've ever been in my life. Um, there's a beach in that country called Hako, and it is arguably the most beautiful thing I've ever seen before. And I mean, just there's monkeys on the beach. There's, there's a mountain out like 10 miles out where the sun sets between it, or it did at the time of the year I was there. The waters, there's no rocks in it. For, for 50 or 60 feet, it's only like two feet. It's 85 degrees and it's crystal clear. It's white sugar sand. Gorgeous. I mean, just an amazing place. We spent a day and a half there um, just doing like a little day trip. And we're on this soccer tour. And I'm not a soccer player. I know nothing about soccer. The only thing I know is that I broke my foot playing soccer in high school. That's the only thing I know. Uh, a pickup game. And I remember thinking, man, these Costa Ricans, we wouldn't have anything in common with these guys at all. But we bring these teams into these rural towns. Like we, I remember this one town. I have no idea where it was. It was in the mountains. It was a sugarcane plantation uh, type play, like a factory. The whole town, everybody worked in the sugarcane mill. And I'm walking down the street and I'm like, man, God, this is so unbelievable. This is like the coolest trip I've ever been on. And I walked back out because I was bored at the soccer game. So I left for a little while just to see more of Costa Rica. And I come back and these players with our American kids from Chicago that speak like 15 words of Spanish tops. Spanglish would be nice to describe how they spoke it. They're talking to these Costa Ricans after the game, changing jerseys, signing jerseys. Our, our kids were really good. They weren't even close to the average municipal team in that, in that country. But th there were some close games. We won a couple. 
but afterwards they're asking, why did you come? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Share the gospel with every single one of them. Many came to Christ from what I remember. We would do after that, well, why don't you come to this concert right next door that we're doing afterwards? And our guy would teach through an interpreter and our worship team would play. And the worship team was a national recording artist. They were very good. Uh, and they they wrote a song in Spanish, though they were both Los Angeles surfer boys. They wrote us, uh, so they understood it. Um, they understood that song. And tons of people came to this concert, like hundreds of people from the town. What are these American, the, the gringos, the, what are these gringos doing here? They said, and I'm like, this is brilliant. The, the common ground could not have translated better. And it was because we were willing to spend, I mean, this three-week trip, and this, that was the middle of the summer, that was a lot. But so many of these people would talk to our players because we spoke their first language, which was soccer. Costa Ricans, like, soccer is everything. I mean, these, like I said, these municipal, middle-and-nowhere teams could play on MLS in some states in America. That, that was the common ground, and I saw it firsthand what Paul's talking about. Hey, if it takes brushing up on a little bit of soccer and you're going to go be a missionary to Costa Rica, you should probably do that. You should probably figure out what soccer's all about. You should probably take a little interest in it, even though it's not your first sport interest. Do it for the sake of the gospel. That's what he's saying. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, except for in modern America, where everyone gets a prize no matter what place they came in? It's called participation. We never got that in the 80s, by the way. We just got yelled at when we didn't win. Um, a bunch of nine-year-olds being screamed at by a baseball coach is hilarious. What are you guys doing? Not even hustling. I'm like, we're nine, man. Nine years old. Crazy. Uh, very different world we live in. He says, run in such a way that you may obtain this prize. Because it's true, even in the participation era that we live in, only one person wins the Austin Marathon. Only one. One person gets that first place check. One person gets the honor. It's usually somebody from Africa because the Kenyans are unbelievable runners. But the, the time keeps going down. The competitive nature of running was uh, not foreign to these people. These people understood uh, Olympics, athletics, and boxing like you and I don't even understand. Boxing went hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years before this was written. Uh, Paul talks about boxing in a couple of verses, but th they understood Olympics very well. They understood athletics very, very well. And when you, when you talk, I remember um, my pastor from Chicagoland, um, even though the Bears are always horrible, always horrible, no matter what they do, change ownership, change this, change, always bad. And yet I, I don't know why I still like them. I, I wish I could just delete that part of my brain. But I remember in the fall, he always did bears jokes. He'd start the sermon with a bears joke. And everyone's like, they're just like, they're looking down and they're like, bears? Um? And now they're paying attention. It's just the way it is. And Paul's like, look, you guys understand about Olympics and, and, and marathons and races. You get that. One person gets the prize. And the reason that they get it is because they ran in such a way that the vision was the race. And, and there is a race of life that everyone's running, whether they like it or not, whether they admit it or not. And then there's also the race of faith, which we are all entered into once we say yes to Christ. Verse 25, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we wait for an imperishable crown. We wait for one that can't be taken or can't be stolen or can't be pawned off like a Super Bowl ring, which I also see that all the time on TV. 
uh, former players pawning off their Super Bowl rings. And it's really, really sad uh, because that usually means they're broke. And you make a lot of money in, in professional sports these days. But uh, it took a strong believer to understand these things, to not be offended by these things. When, when you read the Word of God, to not be offended by it is, is sometimes difficult. Because depending on what somebody's reading, um, it's very difficult as a pastor who speaks most weeks of the year, it's very difficult for me to watch guys who I know they have very different theological backgrounds than me. That's very hard for me. And what I'm trying to learn is take the good and leave the bad. Take the good things they say and just be like, hey, you know what? The fact that that guy, you know, believes this, which I don't see any evidence for in scripture, but he's, you know, he's not preaching that today. He's preaching truth today. He's in the word. Like I try, but it's very, very difficult. Um, in In athleticism, in sports, when you watch a really bad team on TV, when you watch a team get beat, 40 to nothing like what happened last week for some for some NFL fans it's really hard to watch that it's really hard to stay engaged in that but what he's t- saying is you guys aren't potential athletes you are all actually spiritual athletes now what level of athlete you are is a very different matter how how mature you are in Christ how long you've been in the faith doesn't necessarily translate to your athleticism in that faith some of these Corinthians had probably been uh, converts early on from from Paul and are now still like, they're just babies. They're just like weak in the faith and not weak because they just came, not weak because they have this sensitive conscience because of all the bad things they used to do, but weak because they're like, oh, we don't need to listen to this guy because he's not on our payroll and he's not an elder and he's not a deacon. We don't even know if he's really an apostle. Clearly Paul was. All those things. Clearly Paul started that church and he was somebody to listen to. But he's saying, no matter what you're chasing in this life, that can be taken from you. If you're chasing cash, if you're chase, chasing houses, if you're chasing uh, gold, silver, commodities, what a, crypto, whatever it is, all that stuff can be taken from you. You and I wait for an imperishable crown. Now, some folks will get to heaven and they'll have very little crown. They'll have very little reward. Some will have a much larger reward, but no matter what the reward is, it's guaranteed. Nothing in life is guaranteed. They say death and taxes, but nothing, commodities, physically, cash, money, gold, nothing's guaranteed that you can keep it until the day that you die. It can be taken. It can be stolen. It can be condemned as, as the federal government can do just about with anything they want. You focus on the prize. He says, therefore, listen, as, as I talk, I run thus, not with uncertainty, which the world is, USA is, culture is. I run in a race with, with not uncertainty. Thus, I fight not as one who beats the air. Some translations talk literally translate this to boxing. Uh, shadow boxing is the closest translation to that. If a boxer who's missing his punches, quote unquote, he's doing the same thing as when you see, I was looking up Mike Tyson because in my era growing up, Mike Tyson was like the greatest thing in the late eighties, early nineties until he went to prison for six years or whatever it was. Uh, But Mike Tyson has, is one of those people who I think might surprise people in this life because Mike Tyson has these moments of like, this is a guy who arguably made like 
eight nine hundred million dollars in in like prorated like what would you say today his earnings are we're talking about a boxer who's just shy of a billion dollars between the nintendo games and the nike contract i mean all the stuff from 26 seven years back all the way to present but mike tyson is like a fairly accessible guy and mike tyson a lot of people run into him i believe he used to live in the phoenix area i don't know maybe he still does um people run into him they're like i was surprised he's like the nicest guy in the world well mike tyson's had some as a boxer he's had some blows in life he's had a lot of bad things happen to him and sometimes those bad things humble people i told you guys a story about somebody who interviewed him and they said man like he there are some really astute things this guy mike tyson saw something that very few people outside of muhammad ali maybe a couple other boxers ever to be so incredibly good to almost never lose to knock people out and that's the object to knock people out within like minutes many of them I mean, Mike Tyson was a dangerous fighter. And I watched him like in the early 90s where I'm like, I can't even believe this kid is not going to last five minutes with Mike Tyson. When you are a boxer and you practice, you shadow box, you, you hit air. And that is supposed to not only help you as your coach watches you, it's supposed to help you with endurance. When you punch stuff for an hour, you will be shocked at how, how tired your arms and shoulders will be like all the muscles that affect what what it takes to hit somebody in a fight, you'd be shocked. And he's like, look, I fight not as one who shadow boxes, not as one who misses, not as one who uh, swings with all his might and hits nothing, hits air. I'm doing this. I'm going after, I, I have been able to see through pressures, Paul was squeezed like no other, by the way. Like when we talk about like, when you're going through it with life and you're being squeezed and pressured and, and God's like, hey, I'm trying to get rid of that. I'm pruning something in you. I'm doing something in you. It's going to hurt. Paul had a lot of that, guys. I mean, beaten tons, shipwrecked, freezing to death in cold waters, like kicked out stone, like people throwing rocks at him. Get out of our town. Get out of our synagogue. You heretic, blah, 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 all this stuff. Paul went through it like nobody else. Mike Tyson went through it like nobody else. And there's a perspective that people that are on the top, like Paul was the top Pharisee. I don't think anybody knew what Paul knew the day he was converted, the knowledge he had. I don't think anybody knew as much as Paul. I don't think anybody was as good. I don't think anybody cared as much to be like, I got to go prosecute these, these, the way who are, who are offending God almighty. And that's when Jesus was like, Hey, by the way, you're on the wrong side. You're persecuting me. So therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Lastly, but I discipline my body and bring it into submission, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should, should become, lest I should become disqualified. Um, don't be DQ'd. That's, I mean, that's, that's the, the deal here. Bring our bodies into submission. This is a huge, huge thing for America right now. Um, and I, I assume it was the same uh, for these folks. I, I assume that's why Paul wrote it this way. But there's so many in our culture that have just given into their flesh completely, 100%. Whatever I feel like doing, I'm going to do it, right? I mean, all day, every day. And, and sometimes, guys, you know that that's very bad. Sometimes what they end up doing when they feel like doing whatever they feel like doing is really bad and it's on the news. 
and they're being chased by a helicopter. Um, ghetto bird or whatever it's called. Um, their, their master is pleasure. The idea of self-discipline or denying themselves anything at all is foreign. And I will tell you, it's written into the culture to do this. The, the culture right now is do whatever you want because this place is so bad. This, I mean, like you got to get some pleasure out of life because life is horrible. Life is rough. Life it comes at you in so many different ways and it's just bad news. So the idea of like doing what Paul's doing and like giving some stuff up, foreign. The idea of giving anything up for Christ. The, oh, I don't do this anymore. I don't do this anymore. Or, I don't associate with my old crew anymore or whatever um, because um, they lead me astray. It's very hard to stay uh, on task Christianity-wise when I'm hanging out with that group. Well, they're pretty easy and they're comfortable and you know them really well, right? Yeah, so that's that's a big deal to give that up. Yeah, well, I have to because I'm not going to, I can't train spiritually and hang out with them. A lot of folks, 20s-ish, uh, maybe even high school, um, there were friends I had to give up in high school. There were friends I had to distance myself from in my early 20s because they were uh, we were on so a different path. And when I came back to, to the Lord, it was like I had to quit my job at the radio station I was working at because I couldn't. I mean, I was just conflicted. Every song that I played, every time I talked on the radio, even though I wanted to be on the radio in Chicago worse than anything, I, I had to do it. And God was like, hey, I'm, I'm going over here. I'm leading over here. So if you want to follow, then this place has to go and, and just get on this path over here. That was the hardest thing I ever had to do because I wanted to be, I wanted my boss to be mad at me and fire me. And just like, I, I tried to get fired. I tried to do stuff at the end, good stuff to get fired, like oppose a guy who was like the prince of the radio station. Um, and this is Chicago. This is not like, you know, Dubuque, Iowa radio station. This is like a, a station with some serious clout and money. And I was making very good money. But I had to leave. I had to leave those friends. I had to stop going to those parties. I had to stop going to those shows because it was like, well, I can't hang out with you and go on and stay on this little path. Paul is saying, I have disciplined myself. I have done the things necessary. Well, what are the things? Let's get to it. What are the things? Well, one of them is to, I, the idea. You guys have seen this. The Olympics doesn't rate really well ratings anymore when I was a kid that we watched like all of it. There wasn't a whole lot on TV though. Also, there's a million things on TV now, but the Olympics, I still love watching like a 400 meter run, 200 meter run, 50 yard dash. I, when I look up football players in the NFL, the number one thing I care about is what their, what is their 40 time? I want to see how fast they can run the quote 40. That's the NFL translator to like the hundred yard dash. Usain Bolt. Many of you guys know who that guy is. Fastest man ever. So far on record, so unbelievably fast watching him is most entertaining 9.8 seconds of your life. Watching that guy run is like, God, you made this guy. How'd you make this guy? How did you make, I mean, everything about this guy is perfect for sprinting. And that's why he's number one. I love watching him. God did. I mean, God gave that guy like way more of the athleticism talent pool than most. I promise you that Usain Bolt does not eat chocolate cake that morning, although I do. He does not eat huge puffy Texas rolls by the dozen. He doesn't load up with all this garbage. No, there's a scientific diet that somebody way smarter than him said, 
on the day before the race, you're going to eat this. On the day, you're going to wake up at 5 a.m. and you're going to eat this. You're going to drink one gallon of water before noon the day before, and we're going to taper you off. I mean, it's like down to science because what are you trying to do? We got to take off that last 0.02 seconds off your next, and, and nobody can beat you. And then from there, the money comes roaring in from endorsements because you're the fastest man in the world. What that guy does Monday through Friday when you watch him race on Saturday, you'll never, you'll, unless you follow him, you'll never believe it. And most of us could never do it. It's so much discipline, it's insane. Paul's saying it starts with giving up certain things. It starts with avoiding certain people that that lead you astray and take you down bad paths. It is all these things. It's little tiny things that each time you go, oh, should I go here? Mm, let's measure that with where we're headed. Probably not. Um, should I should I go to this place? Should I go to uh, Burning Man? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think you should go to Burning Man. Uh, well, I used to go to Burning Man all the time. I, I bought this truck from this guy, Burning Man, and then Burning Man, like, it, it was the opposite. It was like Raining Man. It rained for like four days, and they all got stuck. Um, but from what I understand, from what, how he described it, Burning Man's not a great uh, uh, place for Christians to hang out if they're really, really weak. I'll just leave it at that. But all these little things, if you see what athletes do, if you see what soccer players do, what baseball players do, they bring, even though they might have some crazy vices, like a lot of baseball players chew tobacco and, and they're, they're a lot of times guys that drink way more than they should. They practice discipline with the team, with the trainers. With, they don't deviate from the, from the trainer's schedule because they can't play pro ball if they don't. They have to stay and stick to this specific thing. So I want to read that last verse and then, and then we'll close it. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. What would it be for Paul to be disqualified? I don't know specifically, but I know that uh, Paul wouldn't even let himself go there. Paul wouldn't do things that would stumble weak Christians. Paul wouldn't do things that would make other people go, oh, did you see Paul the other night? He was out at some rager in Athens and he was leading the charge and he was crazy Paul. No, he disciplined himself. He brought himself into subjection because even though he was all things to all people, it was common ground, not compromise. That's the key. There are ways to relate and respect people of all countries, walks, whatever, without compromising the message of Christianity. I want to close with a kind of an interesting, a couple points, but a, an interesting story. There was lots of stories with runners and stuff because runner, runner stories are, are kind of crazy, but and there's so many of them. But the, the, the point is, it's never too late to start. Um, there's a story about this uh, old lady. Uh, it says, think you're too old to start running or too out of shape? Look to Margaret Haggerty for inspiration. The 90-year-old marathon runner holds the Guinness, the Guinness record for oldest person to complete a marathon on each of the seven continents. That's what it says. It's hard to believe anybody ran one down in Antarctica, but the rest of them, I guess I could believe. She achieved this at the age of 81. Haggerty took up running when she was 64 to help her try to quit smoking. Okay, so she'd been probably at 64. She hadn't been smoking for just a couple of years. Probably been smoking for a good long time. So where are the lungs at when you're like, I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm going to run 26 miles. 
the lungs are gonna they're gonna yap at you like a dog that's not gonna happen you have to go real slow it's a process the last thing it's a pro this is a process for those who are spiritually out of shape just do the next small thing you don't run a marathon from sitting on the couch you get up and you walk and then you jog and then you run. And that's probably what this lady did. She probably smoking on the couch, watching Phil Donahue. And she was like, I got to stop smoking. Well, what's the enemy of smoking? Lungs. Well, how do we strengthen our lungs? Well, let's run. I don't know that she was thinking Antarctica, but I think she was thinking, I just got to run around the block. Every time I want a cigarette, I got to run around the block. That's probably what she was thinking. Once again, it's a process. And you ask yourself little questions along the way. Hey, I'm starting to notice this. This is probably something I should start to eliminate or something I should start to taper because it's not helping. So once again, it's not an issue of can I do this? It's an issue is, is it helping your walk? Is it helping you be more loyal to Christ? Is it helping you around other people? If the answer is no, then you got you to gotta cut it out if you're serious. All right, I'm way over on time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, this text and uh, the, the clarity, the crystal clarity uh, that it has. I pray that you would give us uh, humility and strength, the ability to, to say, uh, I've messed up or I didn't make it, Lord, um, and to start over, uh, to take those baby steps that lead to bigger steps if we need to, to not try and bite off too much uh, and not be discouraged, therefore. God, help us, encourage us in our, in our specific individual races uh, through your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.